Hello and welcome to today's VJ Hemonk podcast. We are a global open access video journal bringing you the latest in hematological oncology. In today's podcast, leading experts Claire Harrison, Ruben Mesa, and Jean-Jacques Kilagian discuss updates in the treatment and management of myeloproliferative neoplasms from the EHA 2022 annual meeting, highlighting novel treatment approaches, clinical trials, combination therapies, and more. Hello, I'm Ruben Massa. I'm the Executive Director of the Mays Cancer Center at UT Health San Antonio MD Anderson. And I'm here at the 2022 European Hematology Association meeting with wonderful friends and world MPN experts, Professor Claire Harrison and Professor Jean-Jacques Kilajan. And we're gonna share with you a little bit about the discussions here of MPNs at EHA 2022. So Claire, why don't we start with yourself, both yourself and Jean-Jacques lead the working group for MPNs. And that was a really well attended session there were some interesting things. One of them was the potential role of digital pathology potentially helping us better assess MPNs, track it over time. What are some key takeaways? Sure, so the special working groups are a really important part of EHA and Jean-Jacques and I have been chairing the MPN one for a while and so it was our pleasure to host the, the session entitled Seeing MPNs Through a New Lens and the lens in this case referred to the use of digital pathology and machine learning. So for a long time we've known that obviously pathological features are a key aspect of MPN diagnostics but we've you know really argued a lot about you know whether features are reproducible or not so Dan Royston really he did a fantastic talk about machine learning how to how we might be assessing trifine biopsies in the future and then looking I think a key take-home for me was reproducibility and then this looking and tracking patients and maybe being able to produce patients who may be heading towards progression and we've been using some of our very long studies in the UK and the carefully curated samples to look at that and I can see you know that's the way forward we might be looking at in the future and we've seen in fact some digital pathology we might talk about that I guess in a minute from some of the clinical trials so yeah I was really super excited to see that presentation. You know I think it'll be very impactful as we clearly see potential bone marrow histo histologic changes being endpoints in clinical trials, you know, being able to really capture that, have more granularity is key. Now, shifting gears a little bit, Jean-Jacques, we heard so really some of the first time we've heard data regarding a Cal reticulin directed vaccine trial from our colleagues in Denmark. Uh, what are some key takeaways for folks? Yeah, this was really also an exciting presentation by Morten Nordstrom from uh, Denmark, where, in fact, as you know, Cal reticulin mutations are very heterogeneous. There are more than 15 that have been described, but they all result in the same change in the protein with a sequence that is in fact immunogenic. And the idea was to design a vaccine that could recognize the color mutation, which is expressed at the surface of the cells, nematopoietic stem cells, megakaryocytes, etc., to induce an immunity against the malignant cells that have this mutation. And Morton showed uh, indeed very nice in vitro results showing that you could induce uh, an activation of T cells against color 
mutant cells in, in patients and they even have a small clinical trial of vaccination showing that in the patients who received these sequential injections of the vaccine they could induce some immune response but unfortunately until now no clinical response and in fact what they found as maybe one of the reasons is that the T cells that are activated against the color mutant cannot go back in the bone marrow and they, when they looked for them in the bone marrow they couldn't find any of them so they're in the blood maybe in the spleen but for the moment they couldn't homing this homing in the bone marrow was not seen so maybe there's improvement to find there interesting was well, certainly the, the the technological challenges i think more to come i know there's caroticlin uh, antibodies that are in development as well as multiple different vaccine trials so well, hopefully hopefully we'll overcome some of this technical difficulty now clearly let's shift a bit to some of the therapy trials that were presented here at eha first let's build that on etpv and then finally mf but but the et splanchnic vein thrombosis both recovered to a little bit of a degree so some take away in each of those challenging situations? Well, maybe let's start with splanchnic vein thrombosis. So it, uh, in the UK, we have this so-called HemeStar network, which is um, uh, doctors, postgraduate doctors in training across all of the hospitals who are powered to collate real-world data. And I, I think it's such a powerful group. So big call out to HemeStar for all the listeners. And they collected data on over 200 patients with splanchnic vein thrombosis in different hospitals. These are very challenging patients, often, as we know, needing multidisciplinary uh, management. So what they showed was this was almost exclusively a JAK2 driven event. So that's a really important message. And also that there was a very high rate of uh, re-thrombosis. Now, this was a little bit surprising to me, I would say, and I think we need to lean in and learn a bit more about the data. So either I'm missing that in my patients, could be, um, but often frequently shunt thrombosis, etc. So power, powerful network, good idea maybe for the readers to recapitulate, uh, listeners to recapitulate that and important data in a challenging field. And then I wanted to give a call out to ET. So we haven't had a new treatment for ET, have we, for a long time? And some drugs are being developed in that setting. So there'll be, there's a study with ROPEG, which I'm guessing we're going to come along to talk about ROPEG in a moment. But um, there's also some very exciting data with the LSD1 inhibitor, IMG. G7289 or Bomodemstat showing very good patient responses and good tolerability and I understand that's going to be taken forward in a randomized trial so that's definitely one to watch. Yeah it's an exciting drug we have an investigator initiated study at our at our center with Bomodemstat clearly has activity so looking forward to the phase mm -hmm. three. Nice shout out for Ropeg so uh, Dr. Rostovchuk and I were leading the global surpass ET study as second line in ET so if you have patients out there certainly consider that important trial. Now here we also had a very nice update regarding long-term data that you've been intimately involved with from the beginning on ROPEG and PV. What, what are some updates, uh, really takeaways from some of these truly long-term experience now with ROPEG and PV? Yes, in fact, uh, Heinz Gissinger presented the final results because the study now is closed after six years actively treated in the trial. So, and a total of about more than seven years of follow-up in the patient and the key messages I think are the superiority of ROPEG interferon compared to standard therapy to a 
achieve and maintain complete hematological response on the long term. The second is a huge difference in terms of molecular response, since the ROPEC-treated patients experienced a very important decrease in their JAK2 mutant allele burden, and we have now, after six years of active treatment, 20-21% of the patients who achieved a burden of JAK2 below 1%. Mm. It's almost undetectable in, in several of these patients. So that is not the case in any of the standard treatment uh, uh, treated patients. And lastly, what we could see in this final analysis is a better event-free survival, including death, transformation, thrombosis, or hemorrhage in patients treated with ROPEG interferon compared to standard treatment. So three key points, complete response maintained on the time, molecular response much deeper, and event-free survival, hopefully better outcome for our patients. Really exciting data and very relevant as I think about U.S. patients now that have access to ropegylate interferon since it was approved in November of 2021 will be really, I think, bolstered by these results. I think they're really positive. Yeah. Now let's shift finally to, toward myelofibrosis. We've got three approved JAK inhibitors, ruxolitinib, fridradinib, and now in the U.S. pacridinib. Uh, Serge Rostovchik presented very nice data that we were all, all involved with with the momentum study showing superiority of mamelodinib versus danazol. Uh, in the second line, improving uh, symptoms, which was nice to see as a primary endpoint. Splenomegaly as well as anemia, clearly superior to Danazol, the current standard of, uh, of care for, for anemia in these patients. Uh, but a lot of interest as well, not only in monotherapy with JAK inhibitors, but combinations. Clearly presented both data on Pelabresib, there was additional data on uh, Rux and, and Nevitoclax. Uh, thoughts on combinations, both uh, a nutshell around Pelabresib as well, where we stand with combinations at the moment? Many of us recognize that um, JAK inhibitors really do improve the lives of our patients, but there are issues with tolerability, durability of response, and uh, actually whether there's really disease modification. And we know this is an aggressive hematological malignancy, and these are diseases we rarely treat with one therapy. So clearly an interesting combination. And, and there's been a focus in combination second line, but also now in the frontline setting, treat your best earlier. I think that's a mantra we all learned as we were training. So the Navitaclax data, the first data for uh, naive patients presented here, and then I had the opportunity to present the Pelabresib data, both in the second line and the naive patient population with nice mature data, more than 80 patients. And I think very reassuring data with regard to efficacy, safety, and some nice translational data, bringing in and circling back to the digital pathology we were talking about at the beginning of our conversation. So reduction in fibrosis, changes in megakarya site, topography. And uh, you know, I think this is we're moving towards some more exciting endpoints and some more exciting combined therapies. But I'm interested to hear yours and Jean-Jacques' opinions on this subject as well. It's a hot topic in the field, right? Jean-Jacques, combinations, do you think they'll replace monotherapy or be in a subset? Ah, that's a very important question. I, we don't have the answer yet. I think certainly by, by, by proof, I mean scientific proof, but what I discussed also in, in, in the education session is what is disease modification and how can we achieve that in uh, MF patients in particular. And I think uh, due to the heterogeneity or in the clinical presentation of the patients in the molecular 
molecular landscape of these patients with variety of combination of mutations in the same patient, the heterogeneity of the bone marrow findings, I'm pretty sure that we will not achieve disease modification with only one drug, but probably a more targeted, uh, specific patient-specific combination of drugs will probably help us to achieve this improvement again beyond the one we already had, as Claire said, with Jack inhibitors. Wonderful. Well, you know, let me give my final thoughts and maybe just made a couple concluding comments. So one, you know, I strongly agree with you. We've got an unprecedented number of phase three trials ongoing in MF, and I think the data is really going to be critical. I mean, how really effective and safe are the combinations and truly are there specific subgroups? It's a heterogeneous disease. There undoubtedly will be sub pockets that we find might be better linked with one versus another. But for folks watching this, I think you hopefully take away from our discussion a tremendous sense of hope around MPNs, a tremendous progress. You know, I think back on my career seeing first patient now over 30 years ago with MF. First 15 years, it didn't really make a lot of progress. We tried, not a lot of progress. These last 15, I think we're really accelerating. New drugs, multiple drugs, multiple approvals, combinations that are effective, better understanding of biology, better quantification of pathology. So more to come, but good news here from EHA 2022. Thanks, Claire, and thanks, Jean-Jacques. Thank you, Ruben. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VJHemonk and subscribe to VJHemonk Podcasts on Spotify, Apple, and Podbean. Until next time.